Our scripture lesson comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 24. I invite you to follow along or in your own Bible or simply listen as we hear these words to the people of Israel from their leader, Joshua, in Joshua 24, verses 1 through 15. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, living beyond the Euphrates River, they worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates, and led them throughout Canaan, and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country to, of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. And then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. I brought your people out of Egypt. You came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea, but they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians, that you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you. You took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Baor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan, and you came to Jericho. And the citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I gave them all into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings, you did not do that with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River, the gods they worshipped in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. My wife Jennifer and I celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary about 15 months ago. We've had an anniversary since then. It was a really good one, but the one from 2022 stands out particularly in my mind because it fell on a Sunday. And Sundays are always full in the Precht household. This one was especially so 
Because one of our kids had spent the night with another friend on the other side of town and needed to be picked up while another kid had to be all the way on the other, other side of town somewhere. And we needed to get all of our various kids to various places before we came back to Dauphin Way in time to hear our bishop, David Graves, talk over in Moore Hall to about 400 people about various anxieties that were stalking the United Methodist denomination. And immediately after that, I had the first meeting with our process team. I would recommend how Dauphin Way could pray and seek God to all the things that, Do- that Bishop Graves was talking about. And at 4 p.m., on this very memorable anniversary, as I was seated in a Jersey Mike's by myself, grabbing dinner in the one brief moment that I still could after having just dropped off Evelyn somewhere, stood waiting for my sandwich, talking via text message with Jennifer, I sent her a song that she has sent to me many times and I've sent to her a song that's come to mean an awful lot to us through the years. A song by an artist by the name of Andrew Peterson. It's called Dancing in the Minefields. And I don't know if you know it, but you should. And today I'm not going to do the whole song for you. But it'll have to suffice for me to teach you the chorus. We went dancing in the minefields. We went sailing in the storms. And it was harder than we dreamed, but I believe that's what the promise is for. Well, we read the Bible in all its wildness. When we look for the common thread that ties together the parables and the histories and the allegories and the poetry, the glories and the terrors that we find within it, it turns out Though it holds the Bible together is a God who knows what promises are for. That's the message that God gave to Joshua when he gathered the Hebrew people at a high place called Shechem. Shechem is a place of promises. When Abraham first came to the promised land of Canaan, Shechem was the very first place that Abraham and his family camped and stopped to rest in the promised land. Abraham built an altar beneath a great big oak tree at Shechem, and it was at that altar beneath that tree that the Lord appeared to Abraham and made him a promise. God said, you're a stranger in this land now, but the day will come when your descendants will live here, will buy this land, will know it as home. And sure enough, two generations later, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, was returning home from years of exile, and the first place he camped on coming home was in Shechem. And he purchased the land where he and his family had set up camp. When the Hebrew people escaped their slavery in Egypt, they carried with them out of Egypt the bones of their ancestor Joseph, who had been born in the land of Canaan, They carried his bones so that he could be buried in the land where he was born. And when they chose his burial spot, they chose Shechem. And then, according to the book of Deuteronomy, they carved two great stone pillars. And on those pillars, they inscribed all the law of God so that anyone who might come to that place might be remembered of all the promises of God and the promises they had made to God. And most remarkably of all, The book of Joshua chapter 8 suggests that Shechem was the largest city 
in the largest area of ancient Canaan that was never conquered by Joshua or his army. Instead, the land of Shechem became part of the nation of Israel, not through war, but through a promise. It seems as though the people who were living in Shechem when the Israelites returned from Egypt chose to become Israelites. And the Israelites chose to welcome them into the people of God. Joshua tells us how, quote, all Israel, the aliens as well as the residents, stood together to listen to the promises of God. And then they made a promise to live together under those promises, to care for one another as one people. And that, that becomes the very first time that we see God beginning to fulfill the second part of the promise he gave to Abraham, the part of the promise that the ancient Israelites would forget over and over, the part that they had such a hard time keeping, the promise that they would become a nation to bless all nations. Shechem's a place to remember God's promises and to remember what promises are for. And so it's Shechem, where Joshua, in the passage that we read today, the old and dying defender of the Israelites, the leader of the nation, he gathers all the tribes from all the hill places and all the river valleys and all the plains, and he tells them all over again, all the ways that God has kept his promises. He reminds them that they now live in a land on which they did not toil, in cities they did not build. If they eat from vineyards and olive groves, they did not plant. That it is not their own doing, but a gift. And then Joshua gives them a choice. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the gods of the Egyptians? Will you serve the gods of the Amorites, your neighbors in the land of Canaan? Or, instead, will you serve the God who is tied not to one particular place or geography? Will you serve the God who instead has chosen to be known by his promises? And it's really important that when Joshua asked the people to choose, he's giving them a real choice. He gives them options. He says, you could choose to honor the gods of the Egyptian empire. He says, you could choose to worship the gods of local custom. And Joshua even warns the people that if they choose to worship the God who made promises to Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if they choose to worship a God of promises, then there will come a day when they find themselves dancing in minefields and sailing through storms. We cut off the reading today before it gets to the really harrowing bits. But when the people of Israel say, of course, we will follow the one true God, Joshua says back to them, not so fast, my friends. He goes on to say in verses 19 and 22, before you choose to serve the God of promises, Remember that you are not the most talented promise keepers in the world. In fact, you kind of stink at it, he says. If you choose to follow the God of promises, you're risking your own integrity. You're taking a chance that you will become a witness against yourselves. And God bless them. People say yes anyway. They choose the promise. They say to Joshua, we will be witnesses 
and they renew their promise there at Shechem. And you know the rest of the story. You know that sometimes they kept those promises to God, and oftentimes they did not. And you know that no amount of promise breaking from humanity could ever make God give up on his own promises in return. And you know that eventually the only way to bless all nations was for God to keep both sides of the promise, to become fully human and fully God in Jesus Christ, and to show us how far the living God will go to keep every promise. And now we are here. In this place where we continually remind one another of God's promises. We remind each other what those promises are for. We are here among the people who have heard us make promises. The promises that we made when we joined this church. The promises that we've renewed every single time someone has been baptized or welcomed into this people made by a promise. We have made these promises, and people have heard us make them. And we remember this morning that we really did have a choice. God really did give us options. The very first gift God ever gave us was the power to choose. God promised not to force us, not to break our will. God said, you can choose me or not. And in choosing God, we could have made that promise in any number of churches. We committed our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, not to a building or a preacher or a program, but to God's church, to a people made by promises. Of course, none of us knew exactly what we were getting into. No one ever does when they make a promise. That's what the promise is for. And there are times, even in the most sacred promises, when those to whom we've made a promise refuse to act in good faith. We know that God always begins his promises by making a sacrifice, by humbling himself. But the way of the world is that some people will demand your sacrifice before they offer you one. They will ask you to prop up their pedestal rather than stepping down from it for you. It can happen in marriages. It can happen between parents and children. It can happen in churches. There are times when trust is broken. Promises dissolve so thoroughly that there's nothing left to renew. And please hear me. When those take root in a relationship, There's no promise left to keep. And if we deny that, the world will not be able to trust us when we say that some promises are worth keeping. But when there is good faith, we can be a witness to something better. We can stand for true and holy commitment. We can choose to be known by our promises. We can stand for commitment in a world that chooses consumption. We can stand for relationship in a world that chooses and stands for transactions. We can stand for a commitment to God and to each other and to our mission of making new disciples so that anyone, anyone can discover that that our commitment is not only 
to those who are already here. But our commitment reaches anyone who has not yet discovered how committed God is to them. We can be known by our promises. Some of us already are. I've told this story last March, but I can't help telling it again, especially since I told it in the contemporary service about someone who's usually here. I happened to be telling some folks about a couple who had been in Dauphin Way 101 last March. And that couple said, we are just so grateful for what we have found here, the spirit of this church, the word we've heard, the welcome we have received. And Irvin Rents happened to hear me telling that story. And so he jumped into the conversation. He said, you know, that's the same decision I made 73 years ago when I joined this church. I just decided this is my church. Come what may, committed myself to it, and it committed to me. It hasn't always been easy, but sometimes it has. Sometimes it's been very easy. Sometimes it's been hard, but now I wouldn't have it any other way. And isn't that God's way? First, we make promises. And then our promises remake us. We start out counting the steps. One, two, three. One, two, three, one. And we're stepping on each other's toes. Sometimes we wonder if we've lost the beat forever. But we stick with it. And somehow we aren't even sure how. We find ourselves dancing. We make promises. And then the promises remake us. And I don't know what the next step is for your commitment. I know that if we are faithful, then we'll see how faithful God has been all along, that we have never been waiting on God to provide. I know that we will discover, if we are faithful, that there are enough prayers in your heart, that there is enough grace in your presence. There's enough money in your pockets, yeah. That there's enough skill in your service. There is enough power in the example of your witness. That if we will just commit these things to God, all people will be blessed. I know that God has already trusted us with enough to be able to raise up a generation that will restore the witness and the trustworthiness of God's church in our nation. God has already entrusted us with enough that Sunday morning at Dolphin Way can be a desperately needed time of rest and sanctuary that breaks the idolatry of frantic chaos. God has entrusted us with enough brothers and sisters here that we can become something that is all too rare and costly in this world. A people who heal division rather than profiting from it. God has entrusted all this to us. And God has kept face with us in so many ways. And the only question is whether we will trust God enough to keep faith in return. Will we be known by our commitment? By our promises. We've told you before how your pastors lead. That we lead with commitment, not with demands. Every time we remember the covenant that we've made, we do so as your pastors by offering our tithes, a tenth of our income, before we say a word to anyone else about their giving. We pray for this church, 
It is her joy to show up. I won't speak for myself, because that'd be rude. But I can say that in the last year, Wilson and Woods and Kathy have served in every possible role imaginable in this church. If you ask us why we do it, it's because we gladly bear witness that Dolphin Way is a testament to God's faithfulness. As for us in our houses, as for me and for mine, we will serve the Lord. And in the new year ahead, you'll see that your church continues to stand for commitment in any number of new ways. You'll see it in the charge teams and the way we're making sure that we assign one leader in our church for every 12 households at Dolphin Way. It's a promise we are making that every person in this church, the old timers and the newcomers, will have someone who takes the time to pray for them, to bless them, to listen. You will know your church by its commitments to you and to anyone who wants to make a difference with us. In the year ahead, we will use what we've already been given to be able to pray with and teach and learn from, even across great distances, using the wonders of the technologies we already have here to pray and teach and learn from a new sister church in Tanzania. And we'll remain as committed as ever to all those daily faithful acts that don't show up on AL.com, defeating our neighbors, commending the saints to God, to bearing one another's burdens and multiplying one another's joys, to baptizing new Christians, to leading one another to profess our faith with boldness. You know where we stand. Today, God is giving you the power to choose all over again to renew your promise, to stand for commitment, to see what difference it makes, to see how it might set us all dancing. That's what the promise is for. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.